right? Imagine it's 2030 and you're no longer in, in your jobs. You're no longer in a position of influence. You are no longer in control of this sector. The generation of 2020 is now in control. What legacies have you left them? What have you actually instilled in change to ensure that we have this data operability or this governance so we're making better decisions? Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Blockchain Pro podcast. I'm Adriana Bellotti and today's guest is Katrina Donahue. Katrina is the CEO and founder of Civic Ledger, an Australian startup that works with governments globally to solve specific business problems where blockchain is advantage over traditional legacy technologies. She has extensive experience in public policy and early stage commercialization, having worked with both public and not-for-profit sectors. Her interest is driven by her curiosity, which I personally love. Katrina started the Brisbane Women in Blockchain Meetup and regularly speaks on the topic of why cities and governments should be exploring blockchain technologies. Let's get to know Katrina. It's recording. Hello, Katrina. Hello, Adriana. Thank you so much for being here. How you been? I'm good. It's it's good. It's February and it feels like the year is racing by again. Yeah, it feels like it's, I don't know, the, mid, the, the next semester already. So many things have happened, have happened and we've only just started the year. I know. Like, obviously, so much has happened. I think we'd spent a lot, like most of the industry, spent the last six months of 2018, 2019 preparing for 2020, and now it's just going crazy. Yes, we had our first uh, blockchain professionals meetup of mm. the 20s uh, this Wednesday. It was pretty cool. We talked a lot about you know, how we're going, what's happening, and it's more uh, more about you know, how can we commercialize this rather than, okay, what do we use this for? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing how, because you're not, you're, well, you've been around a little bit longer than me, but it's amazing on how our conversations have shifted. I know I've really adopted a very different dialogue uh, with the work I do. And I guess you could say that, especially in the last six months, I've really re completely gutted out Civic Ledger and repositioned it based on the things that we now know and also that we've got a lot more engagement and we've got really good use cases. So Civic Ledger that we created in 2016 doesn't exist anymore. It's a completely different business uh, that has taken a lot more on around, um, I guess, language uh, commercialization, business models, evidence, customer personas, things like that. It's, it's a completely different company, which is great. Oh, which is very that exciting. Is, that sounds really interesting. But before we get into that, and we will, um, let's travel back in time a little bit and talk about what have you worked on through your career and how did you decide to come and work into, in, in crypto? Yeah, why did I start a startup? Oh, crazy. Um, look, I I came from very conventional. Like, I, well, I'm not a conventional person, but I started 
very late in my life. I didn't finish school. I didn't actually finish school at all because I wasn't very obedient. Um, so I had to go back to TAFE. I remember I lived in Sydney when I was 20 and having to pull myself out of Sydney and go back to school so I could get my degree, my high school certificate equivalent to get into university. And then it wasn't until I got into uni that I realised that I actually had... Uh, I could harness the way I thought and put it into good practice. So I did a humanities degree, so I'm a sociologist by trade, which is very, again, unusual. Um, and then I really, what I really wanted to do with my life was I wanted to be a policy officer. I don't know why, but I had this vision of working within uh, the women's policy unit within state government or in a federal government and design policy and programs to improve lives of, of women and girls. And I never was able to do that. I just, for some reason, there was a lot of barriers. I couldn't get into it. So I started creating my own jobs. And I had a really horrible first job out of uni. It was just terrible. But I ended up getting a job in government uh, just uh, in the late 90s. Yes. Um, and I started my career as a bureaucrat. But I invented my jobs all the way through. And I found myself working in jobs that required me to harness revenue and get it matched by someone else to do it, to get a greater effect. And that's what I sort of did for, for many years. I worked in local government, uh, the Brisbane City Council for eight years, during the drought, uh, then the flood, um, and then moved into the water utility sector. And we're, we're working with QU, looking at how to build our water utility of the future, which ultimately came down to decentralisation. But the organisation wasn't ready for it at that stage. And then I moved on and I moved into the not-for-profit sector. And it was at that moment in the non-for-profit sector that I started to ask questions about transparency because we I could see donors' donations coming in and nobody really knew how to communicate back to their community or their customers on, on the impact. So I started asking so questions back then. Yeah, and that was way back in 2015. And I was running, I was a commercialisation, I was in a, sort of like doing commercial portfolios in non-for-profit and I was managing, which I love, I was managing uh, recycled stores or op shops as we call them and um, an art union and we're looking at how to use that revenue to get greater, greater growth and they didn't understand how the industry, well this particular organisation didn't understand commercial commercialisation within a non-for-profit sector so that relationship broke down and then I quit my job and that's when I joined a startup, but I didn't go straight into blockchain. I started a startup, well, I enjoyed another startup, and one of the, the question we were asking in that startup was identity. How do we own our own identity? Ha ha. Wow. And how do we actually granulize ourselves so we can only share what we want with certain people to create a connection or a meaningful connection? And um, that led me to, to discovering of blockchain, basically. Um, I was, I was in my children's library. A lot of people know the story. I was, I've, got, I've got children and I was in my children's library in the suburbs of Brisbane and I found a book about Bitcoin and I, and I just read it. And, you know, you, you don't, I would never expect to find a book about Bitcoin in my suburban library. So I kind of went, I need to read that. And I picked it up, read it, and it changed everything. And then I 
discussed with the startup about, well, I think blockchain technology is a great way to start looking at identity. Um, and then things started to happen and I met Lucas and the story goes on and on and on. And then Civic and then Ledger was born. Yeah, Civic Ledger was born because I had a chance meeting with Lucas uh, at, and he changed my life. He, he also is another person that just asked me a couple of questions and he had, had been working on a, a, a little MVP or a little proof of concept of a digital asset of a permit, a fishing permit. And I worked in government. I had contacts and he asked me if I could show this to anybody and I did and we got into the Queensland government and did a first proof of concept way back in August 2016. And that led to us founding Civic Ledger. So we founded on the back of doing that proof of concept and that's when we um, quit the other startup and became a founder of Civic Ledger with three other people and still did a side hustle and the rest is history, which is, you know, I've been telling that story elsewhere in different mediums and things like that. But I think it was, it was a, it, there was just profound signposts and you either listen to them or you don't. Uh, and I chose to listen to that and took a chance. And um, here we are in 2020. And what type of projects did you, um, what did you with Civic Ledger work with governments and were they all in Queensland or in other? No, no. Well, after we delivered the first proof of concept with the Queensland government, we never got to work in Queensland again. Um, again, it all comes down to timing and opportunities. So we got out, we, we, we finished the proof of concept, created the company, then did a very small proof of concept with the city of Melbourne. And it was a great project. We, we, it was so cutting edge, but again, wrong timing, not ready for it, but we got a great use case. And then uh, at the same time, I submitted a funding application to the Business Research uh, and Innovation Initiative because one of the problem owners was looking at how to solve the problem of water transparency. And that was way back in November 20, 2016. Mm -hmm. And we were selected to, we were funded, we were selected one of four companies to, to do that project, which is Bree, which is actually in the roadmap. Um, and we delivered a feasibility study on how to solve the problem of transparency in our Australian water markets. Uh, and we submitted the next stage to a proof of concept and we weren't supported by the department, by the entrepreneurs, the Australian Government Entrepreneurs Committee, because they felt that the regulatory environment was not going to be ready for our technology uh, under the conditions to which we had the timeframes to deliver the next body of work. So we were rejected for funding. So, but that led us to working with IP Australia. We competed with um, uh, the marketplace to secure the opportunity to work with IP Australia. So we've, we've had to work really hard to get good use cases and get experience um, on where the technology makes sense. And we've just built up our knowledge and experience now to where we are sitting now in 2020. But we've always made... We were, Let's make the decision to co-create with government. We were never the type of blockchain company or startup that would sit outside and, and tell the government how to use the technology or why they should be using it. We really basically looked for their pain points and worked with them alongside to help them understand because a lot of it was education and a lot of it was very slow-moving very slow, like do this little piece of work and then add to back it to the organisations and communicate what's going on. But 
I guess one of the things that we didn't understand way back then is, which I now know, just after a lot of experience, is that it's not just about the technology, it's also about the business models that you need to really rethink about, present at the same time. And I think that's where we're now at it as an industry, which is really exciting because I think in the early days we just wanted the technology to answer all the questions and it doesn't. It, it offers a way of rethinking about data or a way that we communicate or collaborate with each other, but it it starts to offer more questions and answers if that makes any sense mm -hmm. and you've got to have different people at the table you just can't rely on the person who's enthusiastic for the technology to be your only contact into an organization because often they'll move on and then you've lost uh, that engagement with that organization which happens quite a lot not just only in blockchain technology but in startups across the board so yeah what what was what would your dream vision be for this space in Australia, especially now with the mm -hmm. with the launching of the blockchain? Oh, I, I think I think if I had a dream, a dream like if I was to say if I was able to say how would I want this technology to be rolled out, I would love it to be seen as digital infrastructure. Like we talk about public and private partnerships with the building of capital works in this country, whether it be roads, bridges, railways, you know, toll roads and things like that. I would love for this for this particular technology to be seen as our digital highway, our new infrastructure for us to build connectivity and collaboration and data connectivity across our different ecosystems. And I think if we could move to that, rather than looking at it as a piecemeal and from only a state-based approach, you know, I'm New South Wales, I'll only do it my way, or I'm Victoria, I'll do it only my way. We have to look at this as how does this unlock value or business value by actually creating a, uh, an infrastructure where we can safely and securely share data. And if we think like that, I think we will have different um, skill sets in the, the decision-making Yep. Um, you know, people who understand data, people who understand uh, ethics and philosophy is critical. Um, yeah, that's if I was able to have that power, I would set up uh, uh, an organisation or an entity within government that facilitates that infrastructure investment, like something like the Department of Infrastructure or Infrastructure Australia, mm -hmm. but call it Digital Infrastructure Australia. Okay, so uh, a department that would coordinate the launch of a new data layer that is yes. like federal yes. or accessible by all yep. states and where states and federal government yes. can, like share data. Yep. So, yes, so we can remove frequency arbitrage and we can remove data arbitrage. Uh, that's a challenge when we've got so many layers of government that everyone wants to have a claim over the regulatory environment, everyone wants to set the rules. And, and so as citizens, we're forever navigating across different layers and representing our identity. Businesses have to re-continually represent themselves and say, yes, I'm registered for GST, here's my BAS statement. Imagine if we had a digital layer that we've all got consensus on, but also then how do we move into digital currencies? How do we bring that into the transaction? How do we then unlock value that's hidden into our, in our businesses but it's also about the next generation I, I do a lot of um, 
<laughs> you know, I have to do a lot of speaking. And I was, I was at a water conference, which I love. I love being because we do a lot of work around water. So I'm trying to not do blockchain conferences anymore and move into the sectors that we're working with. And I, and I, and I love it because I go to these places and these people are very passionate about problems of solving, but they don't understand that they're actually sitting on trillions of dollars worth of data that have been built up over the decades through financing models such as the World Bank, the Asia Development Bank, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. And everything that they do is data, but they don't know how to, they don't actually understand that that's actually what they are in the business to do. But then they don't know how to share that across their own organizations or their own ecosystems so I sort of tell them and I stand on stage and I said right imagine it's 2030 and you're no longer in in your jobs you're no longer in a position of influence you are no longer in control of this sector the generation of 2020 is now in control what legacies have you left them what have you actually instilled in change to ensure that we have this data operability or this governance so we're making better decisions because it's all what we hear all the time and we talk about people, what is their pain points, what are their pain points? It comes down to very simplistic things. Information asymmetry, opacity, lack of trust and poor data governance. So you sort of go, well, let's go back and understand what is this data. And because as taxpayers, we invest millions and billions of dollars of our tax money into data, but we're never able to have a claim across it. We're never able to see it. We're never able to understand, is it giving me my value for money as a taxpayer? I think we all have a lot uh, a lot to learn from Estonia when it comes to that. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah we do. But the opportunity around Estonia, though, is that they are a country under threat. So what did they do? They realised that data and their citizens were the most powerful, their, their powerful resources, and so they had leadership and they went, Let's create an e-residency program where we can actually have a distributed, decentralised population and we have secure data. And they did it. Exactly, they did. Which is great. Leadership. Leadership is important and it's good that we, we come to this because uh, you organise women in blockchain investment. And mm-hmm. why did you... S- what did you first see a need to do that in your town and have things changed since you've started? <laughs> well, well, What's happened? Well, What's happening there? Okay. Well, first of all, um, the re- why did I do this? I was, I was, okay. I was in, cause we were doing the delegations way back in the early days to consensus and it's consensus with a U in New York, not consensus with a Y. The big conference. Yeah, the big conference, and we were finding it was hilarious. It was one of the only conferences I've ever been to where I didn't need to line up to go to the toilet because there was no women there. You know, the men were everywhere, but there was, and the only thing that we saw, we had dancing girls, we had booth babes. We just didn't have, even though we were there, we were just invisible, and it was quite a horrific experience. But I um, was delighted that I met this amazing person called Thessie Moraine because she facilitated the very first uh, Women in Blockchain meetup in New York during that week when I was at Consensus and I went along to it 
And I was so amazed that I was sitting in this room. It was a very diverse room of women. And um, there was all different voices. And it was very, the conversations that we had in that particular meetup were very based on uh, why does this matter to me and why should I care? And how is this going to make my life better? You know, and where's the philosophy? Why are we doing this? What's the strategy? Where's this going to go? Where's, when I've been to meetups in, Bris, in Australia or Brisbane, it's all about, it was always very about coding, which is great. Yeah. And that's fantastic because you've got to educate and, and bring, you know, create the uh, momentum amongst the developers. But nobody was really talking about why should we care and why should we actually be asking questions? So, I had a. I went out to dinner with Thessie and she encouraged me when I got back to Brisbane and, I, and it was really hard for me too because I had imposter syndrome over there. It was a very confronting experience for me, very confronting. And she sort of just pulled me aside. She said, look, you got, you got some options here, Katrina. You can either go back to Australia and just, you know, plot along and try your best or you can actually garnish an opportunity to create a discussion, a, a point where there is rigorous debate in a safe space that is open and free. What do you want to do? And I kind of went, well, I worked at Fish, you know, I was co-working at Fishburners. The spaces were there. It's very easy to set up a meetup page. So I did it. And um, the first meetup was really scary because I had to talk about myself, which I didn't like. But after that, um, I made sure that I got all the best incredible women, including yourself. Uh, I asked them if they would, I could interview them and make it for free, and I did it at lunchtime. So there wasn't any rush to get home to get to the kids that, you know, we could, women could come along at lunchtime, and, and we had a lot of men come. And we had, like, Emma Weston, we had Leanne Kemp, we had Hannah Glass, we had yourself. We had some of the most incredible women in this country give up their time to talk about some really interesting ways that they were using this technology in real companies and how they were using it. And it was, it gave people a safe space to ask questions and the conversations and the dialogue that we had in those meetups was so rich. So we grew it from 28 to about 638 members, which was awesome. And I was doing it once a month. Then I started to get a bit tired. <laughs> so after two years, I decided that I needed to stop it. I really needed to think a bit differently. And and there was a and obviously it was really great because then Melbourne, like Karen, started the well, well. Actually, it wasn't Karen came on board, but and Andrea started it first, and then um, Rose, and then Karen took on. Blockchain Melbourne, Women of Blockchain in Melbourne, which is a still amazing event. And now we've got Sydney and Women of Blockchain and we've got Perth Women of Blockchain, we've got Adelaide Women of Blockchain. So we've got some amazing engagement now, but it's... But you've started the whole thing in the country, so props, you know. I think uh, yeah. important yeah. conversations need, need to happen. Yeah, and I, I just felt that it was... I get amazed that when I when I see when I am with my industry and with my peers, just how generous we all are. And this is the thing, I was having a conversation with the most amazing friend, you know, Michael Pacina, who you and I know very well. And I am a huge fan of Michael Pacina. I get his weekly wrap every Friday and I read every page, everything he does. And and I saw him yesterday because he was in visiting Brisbane. And 
he works really hard. Like he's he's always engaging. He engages Senator Jane Hume, gives her the reality of the situation. He, he provides all the you know goes and fronts up to the Senate inquiries and he does his party. So amazing. And um, he was very con- he was very uh, we were having a chat yesterday about what it, what it's like to be a startup, and we were exchanging some information about the cooperative research centres and things like that. And he said, I did not know this stuff existed, Katrina. How do you know that this grant's there and that's over there? And I said, Michael, I've got to know this so I can survive. Mm-hmm. Because even though we've been a startup for nearly four years, we're still struggling. We're still struggling as, as a blockchain startup. We're still struggling because we have long sales cycles. It's a lot of education that goes into it. Then you've got to go through the whole motions of getting somebody to make a decision to actually work with you to, to help them solve problems. Whereas when you are um, in the paid industry where you get, you know, you work in the industry but you pay, get your paid jobs, some of that stuff gets missed. And so when you get asked to speak on panels, when you're asked to go and give up your time, they don't realise that we are actually giving up days of our time to put together the presentations, to actually get ourselves up to speed, to ensure that we're actually adding value on panels, our covering our air flights, our accommodation. And then when we ask to get paid or ask to have our airfares paid for or ask for our accommodation to be paid for, then we get pushback. And I'm now pushing back now myself. So now, you know, after nearly four years, I'm now calling it and saying we've earned our stripes in this industry. We have held up this industry. You and I have done, particularly you, Adriana, have done a lot of work to educate, to engage, to inform, to rally, to hold up the community on our own time with no payment. So at Last year, I made the decision to stop Women in Blockchain because it was it came at a cost to my own company. That makes sense. If it, it makes business sense, and I'm sure that there are many other people in the community that could, you know, that are not as busy as you or have a little bit more free time. They could take home. Mm. I, I, yes. I've made a point this week at my meetup to say, listen, I've been, I had a co-organizer, we were doing this together, now I've been doing this on my own for a little bit, so please, if you have some free time and you can help, just put your hand up, you don't have to do it every month, but you know, if we if we have like three people sharing the burden, the burden of this, because it's not a burden in a bad in a bad sense no no it's definitely not it's still you have to put in the time to get everything organized yeah 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 and it's it's true like I sort of felt like it was not it was time for the next generation to step in and find their voices because I've seen so many incredible uh men women uh emerge over the last few years and it's time for it's like you do feel like after four years like you're the grand you know the grand you've got this this position now where you are the older states person that needs to step aside and and really foster and encourage the new voices to come through yeah and I that's feel, why i, I feel, feel like it's the end of the presidential term <laughs> yeah i think so too i think it's yeah it's time it really is time because i i know that i i and like you and i talk about this all the time but i really felt that 2019 was a hard year for all of us a lot of good blockchain companies closed down. A lot of startups gave up because 
it was really hard. You know, we've still got regulatory uncertainty. There's still people sitting back and going, nah, this is just a fad. This is not going anywhere. You know, just get yourself a centralised database. Or that all the other thing that I've seen is just there's too many proof of concepts with nothing going anywhere. Too much, you know, too much. We're doing a proof of concept. Aren't we amazing? Let's get into the front front page of the news. And it's like, can we please stop doing this? Can we please stop saying we're doing a proof of concept? Or I've done some, you know, four lines of code. Now I'm actually a blockchain startup or, or now I need to be claimed as a blockchain expert. We've done a lot of harm to ourselves. And I really think we need to recalibrate and say, how do we actually take it forward now that we've got the, the roadmap, now that we've got this, this amazing document that can help us navigate through the next conversations that we're going to have? And, and what is our benchmarks? Where do we want to take this in terms of quality rather than spinning out POCs and then trying to, you know, say that you're now you know, changing the world? It's like, yeah. So I feel that 2019 really sorted that out and now 2020 we need to really think we now need to start thinking about what is your evidence if you're doing a, a demonstrated product or experimenting with the technology what are your economic models what are your business models how is this changing the way value is shared or exchanged what is the user saying where is the um where is this hitting in terms of regulatory environments and how are you taking people on the journey rather than just making it all about yourself so what what what's your main tip for anyone that's not yet working in this industry but want to get involved apart from yeah come to the meetups and help us <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a case of of what was I really asked people who are in their existing industries who are amazing at what they do in their existing industries to ask where emerging technology or industry for technologies, as we say, and that's not just blockchain, that's everything. That's digital transformation. How does digital transformation going to have an impact on your industry or on your sector? And if you're someone who has that curiosity, stay and, and you're, not, you're not prepared or ready to take on a startup to make that leap, Bring that knowledge in, bring those questions to your own industry, to your business, to your day-to-day -day environment. Um, take the roadmap, take it into your organisations and have these conversations because if you show that thought leadership, put your hand up and ask if you can be the person to coordinate the new knowledge coming into your own organisations. And that will allow yourself to go on that journey of innovation and discovery and knowledge, which will then connect you with the industry in a way that you still get paid in your job but you're asking you're actually fulfilling that nature that curiosity nature within yourself and all of those elements will come to you and you will be bringing outside in to your own organization and that's really great for all the startups because it means that we got someone on the inside who's paving a way for us to come in and start working and collaborating and changing the industry together and then when you're confident and, and strong enough and you feel like there is an opportunity to step out and create your own company, you've got all of that stuff behind you. But, yes, meetups are a great way to uh, engage with the community and they're all free. So, yes, definitely the meetups. But also 
just just get curious and learn because going straight into a startup is hard work. It's really hard work. Unless you've got market validation and product validation and you've got a good developer with you, um, those there's so much you need to consider. But I would be saying bring outside into your own into your own company if that's really what you want to do. I love that. I, I always end my talks with with a slide that says uh, always be curious because I think mm -hmm. you know in independent of the industry and what you what you chose as a profession, you have to always be learning, right? We'll always be on top of what's new and how that's going to influence the, the, yes. the, the choices you've made and, you know, how your future is going to look. And I, I think that's like the number one thing that we should all be doing. Exactly. Because it is, a very, it is it's not just blockchain. I mean, going into any innovation space, whether, you know, any startup, whether you're doing SaaS, doing subscription models, apps or anything, to move over into startup from a paid job that you've had for like, you know, 10 years and you've been in that safe space, to come over to this world is, is, a, is, a, is a very hard thing to do. And you've really got to be clear that this is really for you. Um, and be very clear that this is not, um, it, it will kill you. <laughs> either The reason why startups die is because either the co-founders co kill each other, they fail to do their due diligence around governance, around shareholders' agreements and things like that, or they're just their product, they don't have a market fit on their product, or the big thing, they run out of cash. It's not about the technology, it's all about those elements. And blockchain is just another tool in the kit to help solve problems that we have been around the challenges that we work in. So be very clear about your motivations. Perfect. I think we're just about out of time. So one last question. Um, how do you explain blockchain for, you know, those people in your life? that are not tech savvy? <laughs> That's great because I would say if you asked me that question in 2015, I would have given you a three-page document. <laughs> now, how do I explain blockchain technology? I basically say it, it's, from my world, it's about building uh, secure data interoperability platforms. That's basically it. It's whereby we can come together in a shared neutral place for data to be shared in a secure private way and it's trusted. That's that's how I describe blockchain. I mean, I know that there's all those five elements that go together, but you don't want to go anything beyond that because you get people's eyes glazing over. It's a conversation starter. We all understand data now. We all understand the, the threats that we experience through data. So data is our point where we are able to make better decisions about the way we share public resources or how government make decisions or how industry make decisions. So to me, it's about data governance. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you so much. I I'm really, I'm very honored. And that was the wonderful Katrina Donahue. If you have questions or comments for Katrina or simply just want to stay in touch, please reach out to her on Twitter at Katrina underscore Donahue. That's K-A-T-R-I.
I-N-A underscore D-O-N-A-G-H-Y. Also feel free to add me on Twitter at A-B-E-L-O-T-T-Y. A-B-E-L-O-T-T-Y. And remember to like this episode and share it with your interweb friends. Every like, share and review helps with getting more people to learn about these wonderful, amazing people building the decentralized future. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you at the next block.